if I were to define that Gen Z mindset, I think it's it's purpose-driven and passionate. There are so many statistics that support the reasoning behind Gen Z being coined as the activist generation and the generation that is most likely to want to connect under shared social causes. And I, I think Generation Z is really at the forefront of change. Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what is up? Thank you for tuning into episode 31. This is an incredible episode. You're not going to want to miss this one. But first, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you can get notified whenever we have a new episode, which is every single Tuesday. I chat with social entrepreneurs and experts in personal and professional development to get tangible takeaways to help you live a more purposeful life. And come sign up to our community of change makers at goodgigs.app. I am so pumped for what we're building over there. You'll be able to find full-time, remote, and freelance opportunities with companies that are doing good in the world. This episode, I chat with Sophie Barron, the Gen Z whisperer and the founder of The Conversationalist, a community that is amplifying Gen Z and diverse voices. Sophie describes what makes the Gen Z generation such a force when it comes to creating social change and how best to welcome them into the workplace. She also has tips on how you can start using your voice for good and how to manage difficult conversations with your loved ones. And Sophie shares her guiding principles to creating an inclusive, engaged, and thriving community. Let's jump into my conversation with the delightful Sophie Barron. Sophie, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, Dale. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. Like we were just talking offline, both very excited to to meet for the first time, both big fans of each other. You are the founder yes. of The Conversationalist, which is helping amplify Gen Z voices. I just got to say, like w- when I came across your brand about a month ago now, you're doing such an incredible job. Like it's a just the branding on its own, it stands out, it's beautiful, but also the engagement that you are doing with your social following and uh, the posts that you're posting and you're doing member member shout outs and such. And I'm like, I want to join this community, but as you can tell, I'm, I'm definitely not Gen Z. So, <laughs> Well, you're more than welcome to join. We would love to have you. Well, I'm going to do that. I'll take you up on that. First of all, can you tell us what is the age the Gen Z, because I'm Gen Y. I just scrape into Gen Y. I was born in 82. So when is the Gen Z period? It's hard to define. Everyone seems to have a different definition. I, I would say that the cutoff we have in our community is around 1994. And that's that's when I was born. So I'm a cusper in between millennials and Gen Z. Yep. And that's really where the age range starts. And I think Gen Z goes all the way up to is it 2005? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting that it's not so clearly defined. I'm a believer that age is a mindset. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And the more I'm thinking about it, I think I got the numbers wrong. Honestly, I think it's 2010 
we can look that up. I just know for our purposes, um, <laughs> we we have people in our community from the ages of around 15 to 25. Got it. But I think the official cutoff is maybe 2012. Got for it. Gen Z. What comes up though? What's next? Honestly, have we not worked I don't that know. out. <laughs> we haven't focused on it. I'm trying to take it one yeah. step at a time. But. I, I hear that. What? So, can you tell us about the conversation list, what it is, and yes. and the mission behind it? You got it. And again, Dale, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of all of the good that you're creating in the world. Oh, thank you. Um, so, just honored to be here. Quick background on the conversationalist. We are the go-to destination for Gen Z. And this all was born out of a long story that I won't share with you now of just growing up feeling like I didn't have a voice. Mm. And so I wanted to create a place for people to feel heard and make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. So my, my personal mission in life is to unify and bring people together across differences. And so the mission of the conversationalist is to unify the world. And the way that we do this is one conversation at a time and one voice at a time. And we really believe that the more we can share our voices and amplify diverse voices, the more potential there is to find common ground and see eye to eye and elevate empathy and therefore unify. So we're a community as a service platform, really on a mission to bring people together. That's super cool. How many, how many in the community at the moment? So right now our, our larger community is around 12,000 across our social platforms, through our community platform on the Geneva app and on our weekly digital panels. And on the app right now, we have around, I would say, 1,100 something members. Um, we launched less than six months ago. So really growing, which I'm grateful for, but we're still trying to bring more people in. That's amazing. And that's a lot of good conversations happening <laughs> with that. Yes, with that group. no shortage. Let's go back to the idea for it though. And, and let's dig into that story a little bit. Was it just over a time period or was it this idea that just popped up? Like how did it, how did it actually come about? Yeah, I... I really attribute where the conversationalist is now to my upbringing in Wichita. So I'm from Kansas, born and bred, just like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and I, I think from a young age, I realized that I was much different than my peers. I was the only Jewish student in my entire grade in school throughout K through 12. And at one point in my entire high school and I living in the Midwest, there wasn't a lot of understanding around people of different backgrounds. I lived in a largely homogenous town. Mm. And so I think I, I felt judged from such an early age and that created a sense of shame around my identity. And so that led to me feeling voiceless. I had such a desire to do more and innovate and get involved and do X, Y, and Z. And I, I was never really afforded traditional positions or awards or accolades that would have given me that validation growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that led me to feel like I couldn't make a difference in the world because I was waiting for someone else's permission mm -hmm. to say go. And on top of that, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, which we don't necessarily have to go into right now. But I think just naturally wanting to leave the Midwest to see the rest of the world in my own eyes yeah. was the impetus behind my, my journey to the East Coast. I went to the University of Pennsylvania for college and quickly saw how many different types of people were on campus. I was so amazed by seeing people from all across the world and not only cultural and racial and religious diversity, but also geographic diversity. It was so refreshing. Yeah. And I had this realization that really all along I had a voice and 
it was in me all along Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to wait for someone else's permission to say go. And I think in seeing people from all walks of life really helped me understand my place in the world. And so long story short, I, I decided to start a club at Penn my sophomore year, all the way back in 2015, dedicated to bringing people together. I, I noticed that I was starting to gravitate towards people who were like me because I never had that growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Like finally, there were other Jewish kids. I realized, wow, it wasn't a bad thing to be Jewish. It was awesome. And before I knew it, those were the only people that I spent time with. And then I zoomed out, realized everyone else was doing the same thing with their identity groups. And so I wanted to change that culture. I wanted to bring people together, get people out of their boxes. And so this club table talk started to evolve into a movement. And so I turned it into a nonprofit, scaled it to over 80 campuses and was excited to see people coming together outside of the classroom. But then that idea kind of kickstarted this journey for me of really trying to figure out how to make more of an impact on a larger scale. Yeah. Starting a club on a campus is not for everyone, but there is this inherent universal feeling of wanting to belong and wanting to connect, but not always across differences because it's human nature to flock together, birds of a feather. So I did a ton of research to better understand Gen Z. And a lot of those insights led to where we are now with the conversationalists to try to bring people together across Generation Z to have these difficult conversations. So that's that's how we got here. First of all, like how, when you were doing table talk, how did it come about to, that that you were going to do it as a nonprofit, and then to expand to eighty campuses? Did you say how? How'd you do that? So that's a great question. I think I wanted to see it build naturally first. I didn't have that vision in mind. I just started chatting with my friends at other schools, telling them about this feeling I was having, about feeling frustrated that people weren't getting to know each other beyond similar identity groups. And I was so surprised to hear that everyone felt similarly on different campuses and it wasn't just my own. And so that naturally started to spread. I helped start it on other campuses. And then at Penn, I decided to submatriculate into a master's program while I was doing my undergraduate degree in nonprofit leadership and saw all of the opportunities that presented itself, presented themselves through the nonprofit industry. And so it seemed like a natural next step to really transform it into a 501c3. But then I also learned about social ventures and social enterprises and being able to drive revenue for social good, which led to the evolution of the conversation list. This is so cool. I have so many questions, but I know we don't have, <laughs> don't have that much time. We have a lot of similarities. We both grew up. How, well, how big's the town that you grew up in? About 300,000. Oh, okay. Mine was 5,000, 5,000, uh, a a little different, but what was it like for you? Like going to New York, because as soon as I turned 18, I, I, I left home this small little country town. And obviously at that age coming to terms with my sexuality and feeling like I was the only gay person in country Victoria. And I left to the city as soon as I could, as soon as I turned 18, but it was always interesting coming back. Every time you would visit home and you're just like, huh, this is like, <laughs> this is a pretty backward town. I'm glad I got out of here. I relate in more ways than you know. I'm I'm excited to hear more about your background at some point. I, it's interesting. I already see so many similarities between the ways that we experienced the world growing up and how we're experiencing it now. Mm. And 
it's really full circle for me right now because I actually am back in Kansas and spending a lot of time here through quarantine and now in this post-grad life, um, adulting as some call it. And in a weird way, it almost feels like I'm reclaiming that portion of my life and being able to be back here and maybe resolve some of the issues that I hadn't resolved in my childhood because I didn't have the tools to do so. Um, So it's been It's been pretty crazy, but I think going to bigger cities allows us to maybe see ourselves in a different light, which has been really eye-opening for me. But being back home now, I think, gives me that maturity and that other perspective to be able to maybe unpack it a little bit in a way I hadn't been able to before. Yeah. And it's probably happening, you know, not just with you, but with what we've just gone through with COVID, a lot of people moving back home because they have to. and. Also, a lot of these uh, companies are going fully remote, so you can move to other places. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in these smaller towns, right? With the Gen Z generation, you mentioned it before, like it's more so of a mindset. Is there something that really kind of makes a Gen Z stand out? Like, what is that mindset? Oh, and it's hard because I can't speak for everyone, right? right? I can only speak from my own experiences and what I've been able to see from our incredible community members. But if I were to define that Gen Z mindset, I think it's it's purpose-driven and passionate. There are so many statistics that support the reasoning behind Gen Z being coined as the activist generation and the generation that is most likely to want to connect under shared social causes. And I I think Generation Z is really at the forefront of change. Being digital natives, we see the world at our fingertips and our ability to use our voices and impact the environments around us. And I think that defines the mindset of Generation Z from what I've witnessed, this ability to be not only want to change the world, but feeling the ability to go out and do it. Very action-oriented generation that I'm proud to be a part of. I'm so excited <laughs> by that Gen Z coming into the coming into the workforce. Have you seen as they enter that enter the workforce the the existing corporations that we're dealing with, which could be pretty old school in terms of their uh, their business models and how they're going about a lot of these issues. A lot of them aren't leading on these on these issues. What is the thoughts? that you're seeing from Gen Z about entering the workforce? Are they apprehensive about it? What are some of their challenges right now? Yeah, Generation Z, I mean, granted, a lot of them are still pretty young. A lot of them just voted in their first presidential election. But those that I have witnessed entering the workforce, I mean, definitely have some social anxiety, but that's not just the workforce. I think that's reflective in the rest of their lives as Generation Z is definitely a generation that struggles a lot with mental health, but is also the most open about their mental health struggles. Mm. And so I think what I've seen with Generation Z entering the workforce is an ability to probably hold others accountable within the workplace environment. I think Generation Z sometimes gets caught up in this notion that we're, we're at the forefront of cancel culture and wanting to cancel someone for having a different belief or trying to counter one misstep. But I would perhaps argue that that's because Generation Z wants to create a more inclusive world. And sometimes that can be mistaken for being overly sensitive or an inability to cope with difficult situations. Um, So that's, that's just what I've witnessed from at least the Gen Zers I've interacted with on a more professional scale. Gotcha. 
So from the perspective of a hiring manager from a different generation, and you've got these awesome, energized Gen Zs coming into the workforce, do you have any words of advice on how best to welcome them, how best to integrate them into, into their company? This is only from the way I've been able to welcome our Gen Z interns or employees into our work environment. But for me, I think something we should acknowledge about Generation Z is how unique it is that they are digital natives. Mm -hmm. They've never known a time without technology and cell phones, which to some extent might have impacted their ability to foster really strong, effective communication skills, um, which is what we're trying to restore through the conversationalist. But perhaps creating an environment that fosters that sense of communication, I think is really important to including Generation Z, not only in the company conversation, but fostering healthy work relationships. Yeah. Um, right now, we're so connected online through social media. There's also some crazy statistic that I'm, I, I don't want to butcher, so I won't share it the wrong way, but a large percentage of Generation Zers are more comfortable having conversations via text than in person. And so I think in welcoming Gen Zers into your work environment, setting some good guidelines for effective communication, I think will just be a great way to integrate them into the company. I mean, I'm not Gen Z, but like someone calls me, I'm not answering. <laughs> it's like, right? I much prefer. It's also just cultural at this point. Right. You know? I've, I've read some articles about it as well, like being digitally native and, and, and not just with Gen Z, because every other generation has this addiction to being on phones and such. And the challenge that we're potentially losing some, the ability to empathize because we're not getting the the face-to-face -face conversations that we should be having. Have you seen much of that? Completely. And that's that's the tricky nature of all of this, right? The ultimate paradigm of thinking that we're more interconnected than ever. Yet, when it comes down to it, we couldn't be farther apart. We're unable to see other people's experiences beyond our own. And we're only comfortable with those around us within our networks. Yeah. And I don't know, it's something I've been doing a lot of reflecting on, especially after seeing documentaries like The Social Dilemma. It, it makes you think and maybe reprioritize the ways in which you operate your life and who you interact with. But I think you're so right, Dale. There's, there's a lack of empathy that I believe can be rebuilt. I think empathy is definitely something that resembles a muscle that you can flex right. and strengthen. Right. But right now, I don't think there are a lot of tools to necessarily cultivate that mm -hmm. empathy. Yeah, I think it comes with a lot of personal accountability of, let's just say you're having a conversation with someone in person when we're able to do that again, um, just putting your phone away and and just being able to connect on that level. That I mean, that's a first step, right? Just Put the phone away. Just be be able to with that person. And can I offer a second step? That's been you can offer as many steps me. as you want. So if you <laughs> so yes, yes, put your phone away. But let's be real: people are going to inevitably reach for the phone again. Mm -hmm. You know, we are so intertwined with technology that when you are on your phone, especially on social media, let's take Instagram for example. Maybe try to start breaking open your echo chamber. Maybe start following accounts of of people you might have never even met who resemble different trains of thought, different schools of thought. So maybe that can lead to fostering more yeah. empathy, being closer to the experiences of others. And I think that's something we miss mm -hmm. a lot of times, not only politically, but just culturally, even geographically interacting with people who just have different experiences. And so 
that's something that I try to push myself to do every month, finding new accounts that could teach me something new, help me grow. So yeah, I would, I would throw that out there as step two. I love that. That's a, that's a great step. It's challenging. It is so easy to unfollow, block, mute, you know, on any of these platforms to do it. And I, I love that advice. Finding, and we don't need to go extreme because I got to tell you, Sophie, like a guilty pleasure of mine is if you look at like my Twitter search, there's a lot of Trump supporters and I'll go and have a look just to see what they tweeting, just to get a bit of an idea. It's probably very extreme, like they are the most extreme voices in that space. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but maybe, maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be honest. I actually think that's awesome, Dale. I think something that I've noticed as of late in our society is that we tend to overgeneralize. And I'm not saying that you are, but I think we, we have been starting to think again in this mindset of the binary, yeah. good versus bad, right versus wrong. And I think we have to uncover that for ourselves. If we start categorizing, for example, all Trump supporters as X or all socialists as X, we're never going to be able to really understand people who are at the core of these belief systems. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if this is the relevant place to include this, but I I had a moment, I would say around a year ago, where someone reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, Sophie, I'm going through my annual cleansing of unfollowing anyone who I follow who follows President Trump. Can you explain yourself? And I sent very long voice notes trying to really walk this individual through my train of thought and my desire to break open my own echo chamber, in addition to also just feeling like I'm a journalist at times. Sometimes I have to cover right. political figures, so I need to stay in the know. But unfollowing or canceling or blocking someone because they have different political views than you, in my own personal opinion, is a Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not solving the problem. It's, it's just making it go away for your original, your initial periphery. And so I don't know, I'm just such a believer that we should do more of that. Like, I love hearing you say that your, your recent Twitter searches are looking up what Trump supporters are saying, because we get so entrenched in these echo chambers that we forget that sometimes there is a different reality outside of our own belief mm -hmm. systems, which I think is just so healthy to personal growth, but also understanding your own points of view at the end of the day. Totally. And you brought it up with uh, the documentary, The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen that, you know, check it out. It's on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. It, the scary. <laughs> it's like, it's very scary, but great point about opening up who, what kind of information you're bringing into, into your space. What about when it's your own family, when it's your own mm. friends? And especially in the last year, we were just saying it's, it's very easy to mute and block online. Not so easy to do that in person within your family under the same roof. How do you, especially coming from a Gen Z perspective, I mean, every generation, whenever it was the youngest generation, we were the most likely to not being uh, listened to from a Gen Z perspective who are feeling that, that they can't be heard. And especially when it's on such divisive topics like politics and COVID and everything that we're going through, how do we do it? So here's what I'll say. And again, <laughs> this is this is not easy. And I've experienced this a lot in my own personal life. It takes a lot of trial and error, but I think it takes two parts. And going back to what I just shared about 
really trying to push yourself to get comfortable with the uncomfortable and showing yourself different points of view that might differ from your own and exposing yourself to that is the first step. I think we also have to recognize how important it is to preserve our own mental health, mm. right? So I think first, first things first, know your, know yourself well enough to know your own boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone really is starting to influence the way that you feel about yourself and is, you know, negatively impacting your own mental sanity, sure, mute that person. I've done that before. I'm not trying to be holier than thou. I've definitely done that just for the sake of my own well-being. But I think it's all about assessing the purpose behind it. So I think that's number one, know yourself, have conversations with yourself first Mm -hmm. to know where you fall into that conversation. And number two, when it comes to even your closest loved ones who just have differing differing ways of life or different opinions than you, I think, I think we all have to agree that it's okay to disagree. And at the end of the day, having a conversation, and this is my own personal belief, having a conversation is not for the purpose of winning. When we enter a conversation, I try to never make it about trying to bring someone over to my side or changing their opinion, but setting an intention for myself. Every time I have a difficult conversation and I've had so many of them and they, I, I, I'd like to say they get easier, but they don't. But I think that's the beauty of life. And I think it's important to set an intention. And so the way I've done this is entering that scenario with the intention of asking questions, learning and understanding, mm-hmm. because I think that's the best we can do. Sharing experiences and understanding why people believe what they believe. And if we can do that when we enter even the hardest of conversations with family members and loved ones who have differing views than we might have, that intention at least will set realistic expectations. So when you are in the conversation, you know what to expect. You're there to learn. You're there to listen. You're not there to change someone's mind or influence them. And you're just there to to listen and grow, share your experiences. And that also creates such a healthy environment for the other person, right? Because for the most part, when it's family members and loved ones, they also know that you feel differently than they do. Right. And at the end of the day, human beings, all we want is to be seen and heard and understood. And how awesome would it be if we could just give that to other people, even when we don't agree? So those are those are my two cents. I'm not an expert, but that's helped me navigate. No, that's incredible, especially uh, just your last point there, like being able to give that, you know, to the other person and not going into a conversation where you're trying to win something, but being able to go into a conversation, especially with your loved ones, which it's very easy to fall back into habits and the pattern of how you do communicate with each other. So it's not an easy task with, you know, family and friends that you've grown up your whole life with, but to be able to, you've got to break it somewhere. And you mentioned yeah. as, as well, you know, be realistic about it and make sure that you're protecting yourself and your own mental health. But it's hard. And I think <laughs> even even saying it out loud can sound silly, but I'm telling you, it goes such a long way. Mm-hmm. If someone is sharing something and you don't agree with them, just throw back and I hear you mm-hmm. and just see what happens. It's it's crazy the the energy shifts. You know, we we do this with our community in the Geneva app. Our most frequently used emoji is the ear emoji. Mm, That's cool. Anytime someone shares an opinion or responds in a conversation, we throw up the ear because it just shows that A, we're listening. Even if someone isn't responding, we see you, but also we hear you. We might not agree, but we hear you. And I think the more we can imbue ourselves with that 
again, intention, it can only go up from there. And can be used in so many different circumstances. Me and uh, my partner had gone to a, a relationship therapist <laughs> and communication was one of the biggest issues. And she had a really cool technique where, you know, you each took turns in, in, in saying what you uh, wanted to say while the other person had a pen and a paper and they were taking notes, listening to exactly what you were saying. And then when it was your turn and you don't say anything while they're talking and when it's your turn, you first not read back to them, but you relay back to them what you heard and asked if that was correct. Am I hearing that right? So, so what I hear you're saying is exactly. one of my favorite phrases. Exactly. It did wonders Some sometimes. Awesome. <laughs> Again, practice. Awesome. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely hard. And I think like I shared with trying to set an intention mm -hmm. for a conversation, it's also important to define what success looks like in a conversation. Yeah. Maybe if you tell yourself that success for you looks like listening more than speaking, that's winning in my mind. Instead of trying to change or influence or get to the bottom of something, I think if we can also define that success, it'll also help reset expectations in a healthy way. So mm. that exercise that you did sounds awesome. Yeah. And setting that intention and thinking about what does success look like, that'd be pretty cool to actually do with the person up front, right? To understand where they're coming from. Because if your idea of success is to win and their idea of success is to win, that ain't going to be a very productive conversation. Yeah. Can you imagine what the world would look like if we all set intentions for conversations. I think it wouldn't go over well right now in our very politically correct world. But sometimes I just think to myself, you know, if we could both understand that we're just here to listen and learn, maybe someone doesn't even want you to chime in. Maybe they just want you to listen. You know, that happens with friends too. Sometimes they don't want your advice. They just want someone with a listening ear. Great point. It's almost like love languages. If we could understand how other people communicate and share their beliefs and their opinions and how they see the world, if we could really understand where someone else is coming from in that sense, we would be able to know how to respond maybe in ways that could also close gaps. But I love that's that. a whole other and that's such a, conversation. That's such a great book, isn't it? Was it Love Languages? Is it called? I can't remember the author of that book. I don't know. I, t I took the online quiz. So, oh, you you're, you're <laughs> so I think there's like five love languages. I'm sure I've talked about this before on here and it's a quality time, Quality time, acts of service, acts of service gifts, physical touch. physical touch. Did you say words of affirmation? No. Words, words of, affirmation of affirmation and gifts. Did you get count gifts? Yeah, gifts. Yeah. So that's five. So, what, Dale, what's your love language? Uh, I thought it was a particular thing. And then what, I did the quiz as well. And it was not exactly what I thought, but it was uh, top two quality time and touch. How about, awesome. how about yours? I'm a words of affirmation person all the way. Got it. So Gotcha. And how awesome is that? I, I apply that mentality to every relationship in my life. You know, oftentimes the frustrations we feel, even with our best friends, is just because someone else has a different love language and just the way that they receive friendship and love. And I'm telling you that that's also a transformational technique that I think we should all yeah. employ. Yeah. But and you need to note that down actually when you do, if it's a partner or a friend, you need to have yes. a post-it note to remind you what their love languages are. <laughs> I think the love languages exercise pairs really well with conversation. In my mind, like we just shared, 
You never want to enter a conversation with the intention of changing someone, but perhaps adapting to the way that they operate. And why can't we apply that to conversation? If I knew that uh, my partner's love language was physical touch and mine was words of affirmation, I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to try to become something that I'm not, but I'm going to try to understand the other better due to their love language. And how awesome would it be if we could apply that to others around us and not just in our most intimate relationships? It would be a game changer. Now, if we have a Gen Z, they finding their voice, they want to amplify their voice on scale. They excited to step up and use their voice on a particular issue that they care about, but they just don't know necessarily how to go about it. What are your thoughts on like, I mean, you've been able to create an amazing community right from when you were at college. If someone's looking to do a similar thing, what is the first step that you would encourage them to take? So for me, this this realization about the path that I'm on actually didn't even happen when I started my first community. It happened in 2018 when I started working with the most remarkable human I've ever met. His name is Rich Keller. Um, And he taught me the nature of personal branding in the sense of matching who you are to what you do rather than having what you do define who you are. Mm. And in doing all of these exercises and reflecting and having hard conversations with myself, I was able to unpack this, I guess, long-winded notion that at the end of the day, I am a unifier. No matter what I do, whether it's the conversationalist or table talk or anything I do in the future... I will always be on this mission to unify and bring people together because that is my fundamental core value. And I think a lot of times, and I, you know, this is kind of why I evolved out of Table Talk because I think I started it at a time that I didn't know myself as well as I do now. First step is figure out who you are. And a lot of times we we don't know that answer until we start having those conversations with ourselves. And so I think if we can commit to that difficult journey of getting to know yourself best first, you'll uncover what your purpose is and that purpose should inform what you do. And so I think we're oftentimes trying to think of the next best thing or think about what we can create to create X amount of impact. It has to relate back to who you are. And so whether it's finding a mentor or a coach or a trusted confidant to help you with some of that unpacking, once you discover that core value, no matter what you end up doing, it will feel authentically you yeah. and there's no, there's nothing that can stop you at that point. So that's, that's been helpful for me. Awesome. Was there a particular exercise or activity that you did that helped you understand yourself? Totally. And not a shameless plug, but Rich Keller does a workbook and a lot of the workbook walks you through different experiences of your own life. And at the end, he kind of walks through it with you and he's able to help pinpoint and connect all the dots to help you understand who you are. So I'll give one quick example. One of the questions is, what did you want to be when you were older, when you were growing up? My answer, and I hadn't remembered this in years, but I used to tell everyone that I wanted to be first woman president. Everyone, like even my grandparents' friends know me as the kid who wanted to be first woman president, (laughs) Awesome. which feels so long ago. But in unpacking that and remembering that, Rich, who was my mentor, was able to say, Sophie, do you know why this is, why this is significant? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, what is the president's job? I said, I don't know, to impact policy. He was like, no, the president's job is to unify the country. 
and bring people together. And how crazy is that to connect the dots from back then to where I am now? And that's just a small example, but it kind of takes you on that journey to uncover who you are. And you still could be the first woman president. Is that still <laughs> is that still in your sights? I could never. I I would love to be a part of social good and social change, but I don't think government is the right path. But I think what's pretty remarkable is that sometimes these things are in you all along and it just takes some discovery to to uncover them. Exactly. Because like once you understand like you did that that you're a unifier, there's many different uh, vehicles that could help bring that to life. For sure. So Rich Rich Keller, I'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. It was a, it's a book or a course? He is a personal branding guru. He's a podcast host, expert, does all of the above, but he has a workbook. Beautiful. Couldn't recommend it higher. I also would love to connect you too. Yeah. Awesome. I'd love that. Let's talk about the amount of platforms we have at the moment in terms of social media. We were just talking about earlier, the new platform Clubhouse. I'd assume would come under social media, I guess. Yeah, that's still kind of, but it's an audio only platform. And I've had a lot of trouble. I've just got on the last week. You've got on two weeks ago, describing it to friends. Like, <laughs> I, I, like it's audio, live audio rooms that you can drop into and participate in. But there's so many different platforms out there. If you are out there using your voice, amplifying your voice, you, you're getting your message out, you want to create a community, has there been any particular platform that has, the most, that has brought the most leverage to build that community and to, to spread the message that you're trying to get across to, to folks? Is there anything that is working really well for you? Great question. And right now there are so many and it's hard to cut through all the noise, but we have been super lucky. The platform that has really allowed us c to catalyze this generation is a platform called Geneva. Yeah, It's the perfect combination between essentially all of the platforms you just mentioned, Dale, where you have access to audio rooms and video rooms and chat rooms and networking all combined into one. And being able to create our own ecosystem on their platform has allowed us to build individual relationships and foster social ties with our members. And we're not just out there trying to amplify lofty messages through our TikTok platforms or through our other social media platforms, but we're really in the weeds on the ground with these individuals day in and day out, 24 seven. It's allowed us to develop a community that's more than just, more than just the individual. We really feel like we're all a part of the collective while also honoring each individual person so I could not recommend Geneva higher. That's very cool. I need to play around with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in there. I'll sneak into the uh, uh, the conversation list if you let me in. <laughs> I'll send you the link. What is the key ingredients that need to go into making a thriving, engaged community? <laughs> a lot of things, but like, are there a couple of top top pointers? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I never reflect on this as some sort of recipe. I think. Just the way that I've been able to put my whole self into it has built the platform in an authentic way. But if I were addressing the secret sauce, I think the key components of a thriving community are transparency, democracy, and a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. So 
I think in order to create any sort of environment that people feel like they can contribute to, there needs to be some sort of transparency and feeling like every single member has the ability to influence that environment. You know, people want to be a part of the things that they are building from the ground up. And the more that you can make the community bottom up rather than top down really creates that sense of ownership. And when the more people feel ownership over a community, the more they're willing to bring their friends along. And then you grow organically through word of mouth. That's number one. Number two, democracy, though that sounds pretty lofty. I'm such a believer in free speech. I think any community, it's important to set guidelines, but at the end of the day, recognize that people do come from all backgrounds and experiences and trying to preserve that notion of free speech is really important and making everyone again, feel safe and included. And I think that's a part of democracy, but rather than saying build a safe space, I think everyone should feel like they're equally as a part of the platform and able to be their full self in your community. So that's number two. And number three purpose. I think if you're just creating a community to have a community, there won't be strong social ties to build and grow and scale. And I think if you can align the community with purpose, there's no reason why people wouldn't want to come along if they feel like they're really a part of something bigger than themselves. So it makes my whole life when I see one of our members list in their Instagram bio that they're a part of our community or that they're on our mission to unify the world. I even saw one of our members, Naomi, share on an Instagram post yesterday that you know, the conversationalist is the go-to destination for Gen Z and we are unifying the world one voice at a time. And the fact that she knows that that's our mission is incredible because now she's owning that. It's not just about me. It's not about our team. It's about all of us together championing that mission. And so I think that's the last ingredient, you know, aligning on that purpose and letting people know, say it so many times that it gets to be annoying because then people will start to internalize it. You know, they'll put it on their walls, on their phones, um, in their Instagram bios, and it will become a part of their identity. Yeah. How does that feel? How does that make you feel that, you know, something that you've been able to build from scratch and having this, uh, this impact on people? It's surreal. I, again, my North Star is one voice at a time. If I can just help one young person even conceive of another person's point of view, I'm happy. I want that to be my legacy. The fact that we're able to foster these individual relationships with young people to reclaim their voices and hear other perspectives and respect other people's opinions, that's it for me. So I feel so fulfilled. I can't believe it's only been a year, but I just can't wait to see where we're headed. You know, I I really believe that In a weird way, we keep saying unify the world, unify the world, unify the world, which sounds so lofty and can feel lofty at times. But when you break it down, it's all about how us as individuals and every member of our community championing that mentality of being a unifier. So they go out and unify their own worlds at their dinner tables, on their sports teams, on their own Instagram profiles. It's all about that sense of unifying in our own rights. And I think that's a beautiful thing that I'm grateful to be a part of. So My God. I feel super lucky. It is. Uh, that is awesome. That is so cool. What if, if, if people want to be involved, if you're Gen Z and you want to, you want to be involved with the conversationalist, where can they get involved? Where should they go? And speaking for myself, like if you are an ally that maybe doesn't fall in the Gen Z, how, how can they support as well? Thank you so much for asking Dale. First things first, If you are a passionate person about any topic under the sun, we are the place for you, whether you are in Generation Z or not. 
Come find us on our website, theconversationalist.com. Check us out on any of our social platforms at The Conversationalist. But when you're there, click the link that says join our community. It should be in our bio. Um, It's definitely on our website. And as soon as you click, you'll be taken to our community. Um, And you'll be right there in the Geneva app. We'll welcome you with open arms. But please come send me a message. I'd be happy to chat with you if you're not sure if you want to join yet. But we're really trying to be an environment that's open to all. So it is really excited for you to join, Dale. I'm so going to join straight after this. This is very cool. And I'm going to have the links in the show notes as well. So everyone can go directly to the conversation list. Sophie, thank you so much for coming on the show. And you're a champion. Thank you so much for uh, what you're doing. It's important work. And I'm so glad I got to have this conversation with you. And Dale, thank you so much for giving me a platform to share my voice. It's rare that that happens to me. And I feel so grateful to be a part of your movement that you're building. And I can't wait to champion your mission as well. So thank you so much. That was so fun chatting with Sophie. Her and her team are really doing amazing work. So you need to go check out The Conversationalist and follow them on all their socials. I loved Sophie's advice about setting intentions before you have an important conversation with someone. It can be so difficult to have tough discussions with people you care about. But if you can both get on the same page before you start, then it should lead to a more productive conversation. And remember, it takes practice. So have a go. Don't shy away from having these conversations because ultimately it will help you grow as an empathetic communicator. And as Sophie mentioned, be mindful about your own mental health. Self-care goes a long way when you're undertaking this type of work. If you don't already, I'd recommend a daily meditation practice. You are the best. Thank you for listening. Until next week, thanks for showing up and being you.